takes a savage man for a savage land. And you're listening to the Savagest podcast, the pod people. I'm Sangre de Bistro, Matisse Van Rossum. I'm Ben Sheets, and dog, look at my lawyer. I'm going to prison for sure. You're getting lethal injection, dog. (laughs) Hi, I'm Cleveland Mosier, but tonight... You can call me Slobbert Kappa, because I'm taking sloppy photos in the war zone. Well, folks, we've talked about zombie movies on this podcast. We've talked about found footage movies on this podcast. We've even talked about found footage zombie movies on this podcast. But tonight, we're talking about what may be my favorite of that particular sub-sub-genre of horror. Uh, we're talking about my pick, the 2015 mockumentary found footage film Savage Land, directed by Phil Gudry, Simon Herbert, and David Whelan. This is a movie that I just kind of stumbled across on Tubi, Several months ago, I feel like I had remembered people sort of bringing it up like in a corner of horror Twitter a while back. The name rang a bell. I pressed play and my life was forever changed. And I knew I must talk about this film on the podcast. Yeah, I went in completely blind. I'd never heard anything besides you saying, you know, it's really good. Um, And wow. I was uh, I was pretty blown away. I did have an experience with this movie. I had completely forgotten about it. When you said last week that we're going to be watching Savage Land, didn't ring any bells. I think I even mentioned as much. And as soon as the film started up, I realized I'd seen bits of it before. You know, movie night, we've, we'd often we'd run through a lot of found footage films, and often, you know, I'd just be listening and hanging out with the with with friends uh, while it plays in the background, and I paint. Um, this one started like that. And I don't remember if I had to go and leave and I just left or if what I'm pretty sure happened is it started up. I remember seeing some of those incredible photographs in this movie and I said, nope, I want to give this my full attention. And I stopped watching it and went to listen to something else. Because every once in a while that happens, you know, like you're hanging out with friends. You just put something on and, oh, that thing's actually really good. You want to get deserves yeah, your full you attention. you want to give it your attention. So, you know, I, I stopped watching it then because I, I really wanted to give it its its grace. And I forgot about it entirely. So thank you for picking it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and when, when we started watching, you're like, this seems really familiar. I think I have seen this. I was kind of like, in my head, I was like, you've seen this, but you don't remember it? And, like, that... I can see why you would have thought that, yeah. Yeah, like, that That kind of, like... Because it's so good. It's like, weird to me as, like, yeah, I mean, because I, I, I think this is, like, such a, like, interesting hidden gem of a film that, like, I, I find, like, not only just incredibly good, but, like, very impactful. And, like, I've been thinking about it since the first time I saw it. And, you know, I at that point, I had already had the rest of my picks for last year, like, planned out. But I was like, early 2024, I got it. I got to pick Savage Land because I I want more people to see this movie. And, you know, general spoiler warnings, you know, as usual. But I do think this is one of those cases where and please feel free to, to chime in. But I think you're you're well served going into this one blind. The less you know, the better for sure. Because yeah. uh, I think it I think it starts off kind of unassuming and then it becomes something 
really unique in the genre, and I think that it's it's best experienced fresh. Yeah, and you know, it it plays off a lot of the tropes of like true crime, mm-hmm. where you know you start off with kind of a hazy picture of what happened, and as the film goes along or as the story progresses you get a clearer picture that may not have been what you expected at first. More right. perspectives are added, you know, which which change the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, you know, blanket warning, if you don't care about spoilers, whatever, but if this film sounds even remotely interesting to you, go watch it. Go watch it. It's free on Tubi. Uh it's easily accessible. It's only 80 minutes. Uh, very uh, ecumenical with with its time, so go check that out and then come back and and listen to us talk about it because we're going to do that minutes. now. I it, know it 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 runs its time so well mm-hmm. too. It feel and it feels complete as a film. So I'm really glad yeah. that yeah. they. It has the one of the the most frank depictions of hell on Earth, also yeah. known as uh, rural Arizona. Uh, yeah, Borderlands. Yeah. Terrible, conservative, awful, racist place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie that, uh, you know, is, of course, fictional, but sets itself in in a very real setting. Um, in... it's, it's definitely, like, a very directly political movie. Yes, 100%. And, and I think that it handles that well. Oh, yeah. I mean I think it's I think it's it's pretty clear like what side of the of the you know the the debate that it's on but it doesn't ever I find I don't think it ever feels like particularly preachy or anything like it is very like you know focused on on telling its particular story but like it's it rides its, its message quite well it, Yeah its use of political commentary I think is there's, is there's pretty well like balanced all of one moment I think where it like gets a little too direct hit you over the head at near the very end but even that i don't mind because the rest of the film is structured in such a minimalist approach Mm -hmm. i'll give it a little leeway for being direct yeah and and frankly too like it's it's such a an included part of the story in real life that it's kind of necessary like it would almost feel to me missing without that commentary. Um, like I normally, I, I, w- I fully agree. Like, and, and and normally when I go into these films, um, I wouldn't want the message to be direct. I wouldn't want to feel hit over the head by it. I wouldn't want, you know, I, I'd want the movie to just tell its own story or whatever. But here, the way that they're setting it in the real world, in this place and this time in history. I just yeah I feel like I feel like the film wouldn't have worked at all if they hadn't touched on it. So like yeah I, yeah. I felt I felt in this case like yeah it's pretty fundamental and it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable and I feel too like as someone who grew up in a small town and met have had you know plenty of extensive conversations with people from all sides of the political aisle too. I feel like most of those sides were represented fairly honestly. Also the police chief comes to mind. I I very much believe his you know, let's call it, like, folksy racist sensibilities. And he even, like, is aware of it and brings his own justifications to the table, too, that felt very earnest and very true. Like, like he's, he's you know, essentially, by the end of the story, like, he's, he's, he's almost the villain, you know? Like, he's, he's the guy who gets the whole story wrong, and 
you know, uh, is is responsible for an innocent man tried, you know, as we go look into that later. But even still, he he starts off by saying it's not about this, it's not about this, it's about that we found all this blood on him. It's about the evidence. Yeah, it's about the facts, and it's about the evidence, but then as we see throughout the film... It's clearly not. It's not. Yeah. Like, the, the evidence, <laughs> the actual evidence is, like, pretty overwhelming in what happens. You know, that that's a whole part of it, too. But we believe that he believes that. Sure. And that's, that's all that really matters. Yeah, me. and it kind of plays off, like, the classic, like, crime documentary trope of, like, people having an idea of what happened in their mind... That is so, like, firm that they'll be able to, like, leap to conclusions. Mm -hmm. That confirms their particular worldview. Bias. Yeah, their, yeah, the confirmation bias. Right. And to not, like, talk around it too much anymore, like, uh, our protagonist is a a misunderstood and misconvicted immigrant. Yeah. The thing I like about the commentary around the film is it's not really talking about how, like, the the prejudice and the racism around illegal immigrants is evil it because evil isn't real like it's it's talking about just that racism is you know like it's the institutions it's sort of how like the system is set up to you know give these people these these (laughs) shitty opinions and um for that it i think it works really well but what's cool is that's the framing of the human narrative but then beyond that narrative, the narrative very much so is evil is real. Yeah. <laughs> like, hell is real. Hell is real. Something horrible can just happen. Yeah. Out of nowhere. That nobody can explain to the extent that even later when pretty hard evidence is revealed, but still is kind of inexplicable that people are willing to just totally stick to the narrative that they've already constructed. So they can sleep at night. Right, that satisfies their preconceptions about people and the world. Well, it's the old joke about the the don't tread on me flag, right? Where it's instead of saying don't tread on me with the snake and stuff, it says I'm white and I'm scared. Yeah, right. You know, (laughs) it's that same idea. It's, It's a lot of folks who realized that in the town over, was it 50 people, 40 people? Yeah, 50-some-odd people. In in an evening, we're all slaughtered, and they need to find a reason for it. You know, and and anything they can do to put sense on it, and they find this guy. And that's that's their sense, that's their reasoning. So yeah, so they can sleep at night, so that they're not afraid anymore, so they feel like justice has been served. Well, and this film starts really smartly, and it's structured really smartly by starting with these brutal images of carnage, of, you know, gore and blood and crime scenes. Yeah. You know, all over the whole city. So we really get a sense of, like, the brutality of the situation and why people felt like they had to rationalize it. Yeah. And, you know, as that rationalization falls apart throughout the rest of the movie, it fills you with a sense of dread because mm-hmm. you have those pictures of, like, body parts and guts and gore and blood just in your head from the beginning. Yeah, starting with those police photos. Yeah. Specifically, it's crime scene evidence. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's 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 back up just a little bit. Please. So, as, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Ben, like, you know, th- this film is, is a mockumentary that is uh, presenting itself as your kind of classic, low-budget, 
<clears throat> Dateline style true, true crime, crime documentary. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Poughkeepsie tapes. Yes, um, yes. Well, you know, since the earliest days of this podcast, like, what has been the biggest consistency in, like, the found footage films that we just fucking come our pants over is it's always authenticity right yes. believability poughkeepsie tapes blair witch project the blair stuff. witch project documentary as well that came yeah. out at the same time as blair witch project which i la- I, wa- I finally watched last night highly recommended just wanted to get that in there that yeah it's, it's the exact same but yeah stuff stuff like this and this movie slots into that perfectly yes um and yeah it's it sets out to tell the true crime story of what happened in this tiny little, like, one-horse town in Arizona near the Mexican border, Sangre de Cristo, where the entire town's population one night was brutally murdered. Fifty-some people, this town is, like, three square miles, like, tiny, but the entire town's population is murdered, and the police pick up this one survivor who, as Cleveland, you mentioned, is, yeah, sort of a a quiet and misunderstood um, illegal immigrant who had been living in the town for a long time, um, Francisco Salazar. Well, specifically, it's not that the police pick him up. It's that he's on the side of a road, collapses, and a trucker, a trucker picks with him the up. best intentions picks him up and takes him to a hospital mm. and the hospital contacts the police i think that's important because it also like further shows that like he 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 survived just out of the goodness of man like just a a miscellaneous trucker like felt the the need to do it. i like too that like they even say like it's a trucker who just gotten his license that's a really nice texture yeah i mean it, yeah it all the, all those those little those little real details and yeah, he this man is uh, totally uh, in a state of shock. He's covered in like 15, 20 different people's blood. So of course the you know in this in these little border towns, the police, the sheriffs are obviously incredibly racist. They're like, oh, Mexican guy covered in blood. He must have been the one who did it. You know, case fucking closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's intercut by political cartoons that are just blatantly racist. Mm -hmm. A lot of the the townspeople talk about cartel violence. Right. And, you know, one of the the main voices we hear throughout the film is like an AM conservative radio host. Yeah, a Rush Limbaugh Limbaugh style guy. Yeah, just like an out-and-out racist and what's cool is like yeah like the, those characters are I mean, clearly they did their research like the, those characters they're they're saying those things that feel like they're they're playing on the fringe you know they're kind of saying it without saying it until they just do like it, yeah it all feels very genuine to me like yeah yeah and believable. you 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 alluded to to the structure of the film already Ben and and I think that like that's one of the that's one of the absolute like strongest things about it is how intelligently the entire thing is structured because for like the first 20 minutes or so like the first act of the film like they're not getting into the specifics of you know the events of that night they're sort of setting the stage after this has already happened you know he's been tried he's been convicted, he's been sentenced to death, and we're now, you know, in the appeal process. And they go through the whole town, the area, interviewing all of these different people. But it's also intercut with people from outside 
the community who, you know, there's there's an investigative journalist who's written a bunch of books and stuff, who's sort of like a social justice kind of guy, who is like, he he seems like very determined to get to the bottom of this, and you've got the retired Border Patrol guy who ends up being sort, like, taking us through our guide through the town and stuff and setting up all of this and letting us know that like something really horrible and inexplicable has happened, but like not giving us a whole lot of details. Yeah. They do a good job, like planting the seeds. They, Mm. they make it seem kind of mysterious in a way, Yeah, you know, because even if their, you know, constructed story around Salazar was to be believed you know, how on earth could he go through this entire town killing everyone? Right. And, you know, there's uh, more and more seeds of doubt that are placed early on before, you know, we get to the, the main Yeah, the and but what I like is that they do kind of set up the established narrative first. Yeah. As if that that is like, yeah, this is what happened, you know? The first little bits we see of Salazar, you know, he does have like a, he has a kind of haunted look in his eye, but you like, you don't know, like there's something about him is like, oh, you know, maybe he did do this. Like they're presenting all of this evidence that he did and they're like, the cops like, oh, well, you know, he display, like if there's a checklist of, of like what makes a serial killer, you know, like he fits all of it. Like he fits the profile perfectly. And there are these voices of doubt that, are creeping in around the fringes, but then, like, 20 minutes in, up to this point, they've been like, he doesn't, he didn't speak a word through his whole trial, he didn't say any anything in his defense, and it's like, okay, there was one person, a, a prison psychiatrist, who he gave one interview to, and the footage of that tape got out to the investigative journalist, and, you know, we start to learn a little bit more about Francisco, like, as a person, you know, kind of misunderstood, quiet, outcast. Uh, he's a photographer. You know, he he takes a lot of pictures of, like, roadkill and stuff. And, of course, that ties in perfectly with the, the serial killer nerves. Like, who's taking pictures of, of dead animals? You know, all of this stuff. And a and, young girl. And a young girl, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the friend of the family who are helping to restore a mission in the town but they don't reveal that right away oh yeah yeah i mean they say that he was that he was close to this family and they show all these pictures of this little girl you know um and it's you know we see the pictures and they're nice photographs all black and white 35 millimeter um you know just of a girl like playing and smiling and stuff and like from an outside perspective, seems innocent, but then, you know, you hear the 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 sheriff being like, he had all of these provocative pictures of this young girl mixed in with all of these uh, images of roadkill, road and, you know, the psychiatrists have a fancy word for what he was, and it was a voyeur, but me, I say he's a pervert. So they're setting all of this up, and then... Uh, the, the truck driver who dropped him off, uh, you know, several weeks later found a roll of film under the seat in his car that fell out of Salazar's camera and he sends it to the investigative journalist 
who then releases it. And now we set the template for the rest of the film. And what a frame. Which is following Salazar's journey through the town, through that night of horror, based on the 36 photos that he had on his camera reel that he took. And this is something where the film like really differs from your classic, like, quote-unquote, found footage thing, because there isn't actually any found footage. Found photos. It's found well, photographs. Except, yeah, except we'll talk about, we'll talk about that. I have, some feel- I have some feelings about that. Yeah. But yeah, it's all found photographs. 36 photographs mm-hmm. documenting this horrific night. And so the rest of the film is structured following his journey through the town, which is all done by intercutting that interview with the police psychiatrist you have the retired border patrol guy who is like physically walking the the documentary crew through the town leading them from place to place they've got like a computer generated like map of the town that they use to big sketchup file yeah exactly a sketchup file that they use to show his route through the town where like all of the various human remains and body parts were found all of that to kind of give us that picture and then of course Salazar's photographs themselves and like that is I I think the you know I'm sure everybody would agree the hero of this film the shining star of this film is the photographs of what happened that's that's the the first time it was running in the background that's why I shut it off they were too cool to not pay attention to and if I remember correctly I had to get some work done so like I just say I I wanted to give this movie its due because, boy, are they worth it. I got to say, I look at a lot of, you know, it's a it's a horror artist and as a designer. Like, I look at a lot of, like, horror photography. You know, your Trevor Hendersons, etc. Creepypasta photos. Creepypasta photos, etc. These are up there with the best. These are some of the scariest. They're inc- they are so fucking good. Worth, yeah. worth the price of admission to this film alone. You got to wonder, you know, like, I, I think, like, if you were to hear this movie described to you, which is, in fairness, what we're doing, um... Uh, That's why I said go watch it first. Yes. Like, if you hear the film just simply described to you, you know, oh, they're just showing some photos. It's hard to capture. It's it's impossible in an audio-only medium to capture, like, the impact of how this is handled in the film. How jarring those images are. And what's great, too, is, like, the movie even starts with a number of people saying, like, oh, ever since I saw those photos, I couldn't get a wink of sleep. Yeah. And and you you think, like, and I was a little nervous, you know, I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, but how are they going to follow through on that? It's like... No, if you saw those in a real-life setting, you probably wouldn't get much sleep either. Those are fucking terrifying. Yeah, well, and, you know, you say it's hard to properly describe it, but I I think it's quite easy to describe that. It's through the minimalism of kind of approaching it in still photos and in, you know, in darkness a lot of the times and in suggestion a lot of the times. So much of the horror of this film is left to your imagination. Yes. yes. And, and it's that's terrifying. why it's so successful. Yeah, what all I mean by that, because no, it's true. We can, and we, yeah, I want to continue to break that down for sure. Uh, but what I mean by that is specifically like, like the crux of this film is there's some really cool photos in it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I, should I just look at the photos? Like, no, watch the movie. I think the, I think the photos are like, and when I, I think to clarify when, when I say difficult to describe, I think it's like, Describing the actual photos themselves, because they have... We're going to uh, try. Yeah, because, you, you know, they have uh, an 
abstract and otherworldly ethereal quality to them that accomplishes exactly what you're saying that making it like that it leaves so much to your imagination it lets your imagination run wild because it doesn't feel like a literalization if that makes sense there's an artistry to the suggestiveness of the photos yeah you know they're all shot on 35 millimeter film black black and and white. white um and they very smartly shroud a lot of the details in either blurriness or uh, kind of shaky exposure because, you know, these are shot at night, so longer exposures are natural. Mm -hmm. Um, Or just details are lost in the darkness. Yeah, high contrasty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think that's what makes it feel so strong, and that's how they kind of overcome like a limited budget because like if it was super clear what you were seeing it would probably look cheap and the film would be lesser for it yeah it would be it would be lesser Mm -hmm. it is the the otherworldly ethereal quality of these photos that makes them so terrifying because i mean you know we we sort of you know buried the lead at the beginning like this is a zombie film you know, it's your classic zombie film, uh, and what happens broadly in this movie is that a swarm of zombies w- wanders out of the desert into this little town and in one night um, massacres everybody. And we have this one survivor who took these 36 photographs along the way. And as his journey is described to us, it's intercut with these snapshots of the horror and the carnage that he experienced, but in a way that is so, like, unrecognizable as, like, tangible reality that it it's hellish. Yeah. It's it's surreal. It's, yeah. It, it almost makes me wonder structurally if they started shooting this movie with the photos and then kind of built the narrative around the, the best photos they got. I'm, I'm willing to bet I think it started with that Google SketchUp file. I was thinking about this. And I, and I think that they started by, like, mapping out the, the town, probably a pre-existing town with a different name, if I had to guess, and that they planned the route and then they shot those scenes in those locations along the route. And, and when I say shot those scenes, I mean photographed those scenes and those sequences, which is, to me, so fucking clever. It's, it's such a smart idea to set it up and plan it that way because each of those shots are at those locations and they do match the, the arc of um, Salazar's story. So, no, I, I, do, I do think that there was like a lot of careful planning that went into it. And the, the, the other reason i think that is um and that there was there was a pretty strong amount of intent and planning from the beginning is how i kind of want to also describe these photographs myself and it's okay this this term is overused in film critique uh but as an artist i think i'm allowed and that's a technical term that we also use in, in classical painting like caravaggio and the like and that's chiaroscuro right i've heard it you know a million times it just means light and dark right when you're doing that, there's also an Italian method called sfumato, which means smoke. And the reason I'm mentioning that is in chiaroscuro and sfumato, the goal is to, as you're painting something, find the form, lose the form, and find the form again. And what that allows is for you to build up these characters and hard realism 
and then lose them in shadow. And it's a lot of fucking work when you're painting like this. And again, I have to do this a lot for horror stuff, is you want to feel like something is coming out of the darkness. And to make it feel like that, you have to realize the whole thing as if almost it's in light first, in all the detail, and then lose it very carefully. And in these photographs, where we do have light in the shadow, where we can make things out, wretched. Like, and detailed, too. Like, um, even though 90%, if being generous, probably closer to 95, like most of the zombie, zombies, the, the, the horrors that we're seeing in these, in these images are just silhouettes. They're hardly visible. They're just a blur of arms, you know. Uh, but, but whenever we do get, like, a mouth, too many teeth. Like, like very clear and long teeth. There's a couple of them that are like that. We're like, yeah, they, they went through the trouble of like putting full makeup on these people and, um, like uh, working them up and no, not on a huge budget, probably like a, probably on little to none, but they still went through the trouble and the, the effort to detail and to costume these people when most of it is lost in the shadows. Yeah. And that. Oh, that that takes a real fucking masterclass and, move. Like that's I, that's a, that, that's someone who really fucking knows what they're do what knows what they're doing and plans this shit out. Like, you can't you can't wing that shit. And you I can't. and I have no doubt that I, I would I would really really love to know what their staging process was for these photographs because I have no doubt that the photos are touched up to a degree in photoshop sure. um, well, i think i think you very can, well i think you can add very subtle details in a photoshop that like really pop in photos like these like a lot of them are like the like sort of glowing eyes like the light reflecting yeah, the eyes they, they definitely i like think that, that that's probably you know heightened in photoshop there are some you know you said it's a lot of silhouettes and it's like there are times where there's just kind of like sunken black eyes and mouth for the sort of like impression of a face that I feel like was probably heightened or added in Photoshop. But that is not to diminish what is clearly like you cannot achieve photos of this quality like solely through digital alteration. Sure, and I I bet some of the stuff they were doing here was kind of analog Mm post-processing to say the least like uh double exposuring certain elements of multiple images into each other um yeah exactly compositing uh in in a dark room and you know like i work with photographers all day and like it's very clear to me that they probably shot like a ton of stuff and just picked the absolute best. Oh, I'm best. sure. Yeah. I'm sure they were shooting uh, like many frames really, really quickly mm-hmm. and on the move. Um, but still, with as you mentioned, you know, because it's all it's, it's it's all at night, so they're using long exposure so that you really get the warping from the like the light tracers and the motion blur. And I I would imagine that they just staged these scenes with these actors in the zombie makeup and whatever and just had somebody probably a couple people with cameras just running and just like rapid fire shooting yeah and then went through all of them and pulled the best selects to get our our 36 absolutely because like this isn't uh, a circumstance where like there's just some grain filters on this shit like it is like like you mentioned ben like 
frankly, too, I think the the expo- the double exposure or the, the 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 time exposure shots and those elements are the the coolest bits. Like they're and they're the, they're the creepiest. Um, well, I, I say that, but then, God, those are some bits where like there's just a person just behind a shrub and you just get the top half of their face. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> terrifying. Um, but uh, yeah, some of those those double exposures. I think, in particular, some of my favorite shots are uh, coming up on the church. Um, there are figures that are that are approaching this chapel, and I want to say, at a guess, the way that they did it, if not through compositing, which is likely, but again, if so, they they you really can't tell. Like it seamless. looks it looks seamless. seamless. Yeah, yeah, if there is compositing, what every one of these photos looks real. Is they they got the person to like not move the, their head as much as the rest of their body or something. Because what you what you get is... And I can't remember if I've talked about it on the podcast recently or if it was just to appear. Forgive if I... I might have talked about this last episode. But, like, one of my favorite concepts... Oh, it was on the podcast because we were talking about class of 1999. Um, but one of my favorite concepts is, like, the top half of the face and no lower jaw. Yeah. Like I was just talking, that's right, it was. It was yeah. on the podcast last week. And... And that's exactly what these are again. It's it's you get the top half of their head and it's pretty clean, but then beneath it, it's all double exposure and fucked up. And it looks like they're they look like necromorphs. They look like their heads have like extended up, you know, past their bodies. Like yeah, they've they've been warped by hell. These like it's it's almost an insult to call this a zombie film. Like it's because it's to, to me. Sure, maybe it's a, it's a guy on the run taking photos of zombies ransack a town and the photos just make it look more horrifying or whatever. But to me, it's more like a, a fucking event horizon scenario happens in this town or something. Like, that that's the impression I get from these photographs is that, like, these people have been warped by a malevolent force, some entity. It, it's, it, it doesn't just seem like a zombie outbreak. Like, it seems way scarier and way more original. Yeah. But again, because they don't, they don't say. It's the quality of the photographs. Yeah. It's, it's the abstractness of, of the photographs that produces that effect. That yeah, they're very suggestive, like as we were yeah. saying before. And, yeah. you know, I think the other thing that makes them work so well is they're surrounded by contextualization. And that contextualization, you know, the big part of it is... They're paired before and after by two main things, I would say. Like, crime scene photos, they do a fantastic (laughs) job, like, creating these, you know, small bits and pieces of the aftermath. You know, we don't, we never get, like, a full picture of what happened. Right. You know, it's always just, like, a blood splatter or, you know, a stain on the side of a car. Or, you know, uh, uh, someone's decontextualized limb or something. That's, like, been wrapped in plastic by the police or something, yeah. And so that gives us kind of the impact. And to pair that with uh, Salazar going through and explaining, you know, from his perspective, what he saw... Mm-hmm. It brings everything... In very few words, yeah, too. It brings everything together in such an evocative way that's honestly super impressive to me. Yeah, this film could have started by them just saying, oh, bite marks, bite marks, bite marks, you know, found around the town. And there was one small touching on, like, 
by yeah, they mentioned that a little bit. But, you know, like oh, he ate his vic- He ate some of his victims too. They were chewed on. They were bite marks. Yeah, but like the thing that they really touch on is how hard it is to find whole remains throughout this entire town. Yeah, and you know, it's like oh, limb here, a thing, whatever, and it's like. Even, like, like high-budget zombie films like The Walking Dead, like, that's not the impression that's left by zombie aftermath. Yeah. That's that's different. That's something else. That's, like, to me, again, to me, because they, they don't say it, they let they leave you to conjure. Um, uh, in, in my imagination, that's, like, yeah, these people were, like, so flesh-warped and such horrifying, ghoulish creatures that they just fell to bits. Uh, that's, like, that's how... That's my take. It's it's well, so it just, fucked up. It just creepy. it just feels particularly savage. Like another another an, another like thing about the photographs that I think makes them feel so scary and otherworldly is that like the the human forms that we're seeing like aside from just being like distorted by the motion blur and the high contrast and so on and so forth like the figures themselves are contorted into unnatural positions like i think of like, one of my favorites is the first photograph the the one that kicks it all off photograph number one on the reel that he takes from outside his house after you know like a teenager that he knows comes to him like begging for help and cut up and bleeding and then dies on his couch and then gets back up and attacks him um you know he has to defend himself with a pickaxe and he goes out and he takes this photo of the the hillside behind his house and you just see like spread out all along the hill like it's not like a tight cluster of forms like you'd see in like the walking dead or something where it's just like a mass but just like many all spread out along this hillside of these human figures that all have like their arms like thrown out at weird angles and bent over and their heads twisted and it's like it's it's un it's like shapes that human bodies don't normally make it's it's just like you can you can pick up very little detail because it's all at a distance but like it's just so immediately unnatural and uncanny and this is like your first glimpse of like what is descending on this town and that like that really like they're really consistent with that through the rest of the film that like it it it, yeah i think it's why they feel like more than just your run of the mill zombies, like you're saying, Cleveland. Even though they they are, they're just the Walking Dead. But like, they do a really good job, like you said, though, yeah. like setting up like an authentic feeling threat. I love that the first guy uh, Salazar runs into after the teen is this like burly hunter guy. Yeah, who is like um, a marksman. He's a big dude. You know, he he has a big truck. And, a big gun. You know, if anyone is prepared to, like, take on, like, a, a zombie threat, it's this guy. And we we see that he is not equipped for this kind of threat. No, and, he's, immediate, and he's immediately killed, you yeah. know? 
we get those like three photographs of him, like the one of him like getting the gun out of the truck and then over his shoulder, like aiming towards, you know, again, more blurred and distorted figures. And then another one of him like being pulled to the ground. And, you know, later we see like the truck with like the bloody handprint on the side of it. And, you know, they're interviewing his wife and she's like, you know, something never seemed right. Like, Ron was, you know, 6'1 and 210 pounds, and Salazar was 5'9 and 170, and, like, Ron was a crack shot. Like, how could this one guy, like, as close as he was, like, how could he take down Ron? Like, something never felt right about that. It's like, we see those photographs, it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, because zombies, um, yeah, that that to me is where like things get a little silly because um, our, our the, the the case for the opposition is pretty damn flimsy because he's got his back to him, um, like clearly, but acknowledging that he's there, it's like the the last thing you do when there's a threat, and he's got his gun pointed at like the the enemy combatants as they're coming forward, the zombies, the creatures, you know, like the 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 the, the apparent threat, and I think this is a good moment to touch back on the the opposition's uh, defense over. Uh, the authenticity of these photos. Uh, we touched on it a little bit, but the the police chief says uh, something, or the sheriff, I forget, but he says something along the lines of, uh, "Well, you know, these days anybody can do a Photoshop. Uh, you know, I could I could just give this to my nephew, and he can make it look like you're on the grass in Knoll. Yeah, uh, I I do really like that, which which is crazy to me because like this isn't like digital photographic evidence. This is like a reel that was found like by the trucker. Yeah, right. That's, it's that, like that's so... the most absurd part of it is it's a role that they developed. It's not like digital photos. Well, but the police didn't develop it because remember the trucker mm, sent it to the journalist. So he had the role of film, he had the negative, he's the one who developed and published it. So from the the police's perspective in their, you know, their narrative that supports their their worldview, it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, who is this uh this bleeding heart liberal um a black guy at that right who is coming in here and trying to say that you know we pinned it all on salazar because we're racist and he's got these just like absurd photographs of you know like there's just it's not hard evidence right and it's like i i appreciate that the the photographs are of such a nature that like Despite what we're seeing, it's like you can you can see how those people who are already convinced that things happened the way that they think it did and aren't wanting to hear arguments to begin with would look at that and be like, oh, of course it was just, you know, some kid photoshopped these, mm-hmm. you know, to... Well, because to acknowledge the photographs is to acknowledge, like, a supernatural also that. force wrecked the town. Also and that. And if, if you're a believer in, like, the, the shitty concept of law and order, which these guys are... You're gonna reject the fuck out of that. You're not gonna like you know to give right. that any time of day. Well, and that's and that's one like of the it, things. And, and, and from that, from those eyes, like yeah, you can't let that reach the court. And what I one of the things that I love about this movie is that even the the non skeptics in the film, like the few that we have, none of them ever say outright, cut and dry, in so many words, the reality of what is on those photographs. Yeah. You know, they're all like, well, it's like, well, we can't exactly because they themselves, even though they see it and they believe it, they're scared to acknowledge it because acknowledging it is acknowledging that 
the dead can get up and start walking yeah, the hell is real. like something that is like <laughs> so so anathema to like our conception of what existence means and life and death that is like it totally shakes the foundations of reality to admit that that's what you're saying even though they see it and they believe it none of them nobody ever says it the closest that anybody comes is the border patrol guy when he's talking about um what happened at the church with the the pastor who ended up you know like killing his wife and daughter and son to save them from the the murder of the from being torn apart by zombies and that like his friend from the church or whatever the other pastor in Colorado is like it's like he won't admit what what they're seeing because that would mean acknowledging an inconvenient resurrection, and that's the closest that anybody yeah. ever comes to actually saying this. You know, it's an elegant way to put it too. Right, that this is what it is. That this is the living dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I really love that, and that whole section with the family is Great maybe the most horrifying sequence of the movie. Yeah. I think the two sequences, uh, that and the water tower, where they couldn't even make a story up about how he killed them directly. Right. Yeah, Salazar you wasn't know? even like, like his photographs don't make a chain through that part. He doesn't go anywhere near it's the water tower. Yeah. the yeah. prosecution's defense is the flimsiest generally. But it also, you know, kind of evokes, like, the true horror and dread of the situation. Yeah. And it's part of the reason why people have such a hard time saying bluntly how it is. Because, like, these were the people that dealt with it directly. And they couldn't fathom, yeah. you know, it to the point where they found that suicide was a better option than yeah. living in this newfound hell that they existed in. Yeah, how did one man chasing eight people up a water tower, like, how did they decide to jump off the water tower rather than face that one guy who was chasing them mm-hmm. up there in this like, and Including, like, dads with their kids. Right, yeah. Like the, the if if anyone is, but they're like, all deciding going to like that. They're all deciding defend. to yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, they're all deciding they're to leap themselves. to their deaths mm-hmm. from the water tower rather than face what's coming up the water tower after them. But it's just this one crazy guy who is murdering oh, sure, the whole yeah. town, right? Well, also, you know, something that the film states very bluntly, you know, that we haven't even touched on yet, is that aside from just, like, the convenience of this narrative, is, like, what we really see is how the people in the neighboring town view immigrants, and view Mexicans, and that is, like, so, like, central to just, like, racism is that is viewing people as lesser than human, as animals, as beasts. The, the, The name of the film, Savage Land, comes not only from, you know, oh, it's a savage land and there's zombies, but it's what the people of the neighboring town called 
Sangre de Cristo because it was like exclusively like very poor immigrants who were living there. They were saying that Sangre de Cristo was populated by everybody who worked for all the well, the white families in the neighboring town. The people who were their gardeners, who were their house cleaners, who were their babysitters. The they lived the, yeah. the invisible people. The they call it the the I think the investigative journalist calls it a brown town. That like this is where all of these like poor, low-class, lesser people live, and that the people in that town call that town Savage Land, because that's how they see those people. And so, to them, it's easy to believe that one of these brown savages could snap and murder an entire town because, oh, he's working for the cartel or so. He's one of them goddamn MS-13s. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The worst of it is the... uh... The drunk guys at the bar. Oh, the guys they interview at the bar. Yeah. yeah. Those those guys are just, like, so outwardly racist. Yeah, yeah like, not sugarcoating at um, all. Yeah. Short of, everything short of, of like, slurs. And, of know? course, you hang out in front of a few dive bars in the South, and you'll just hear that. that should yeah, just, sure. You, you hear that shit all the time. Sure. And, you know, a lot of the, the film's political stance is very direct in, like, this section of people. But it also broadens its scope more nationally like you know right near the beginning of the film they say you know this was one of the largest massacres in the u.s the third the third largest and somehow yeah, it wasn't covered by national media and i think what they're trying to say there is like because not all white people are died. yeah exactly yeah. because these are you know hmm. hispanic people you know migrants for the most part that were killed the media ignored it and they have blood on their hands just as much as the citizens of uh, Arizona. I wonder what parallels to real life and current <laughs> events in February of 2024 would be uh, applicable, would, would be would be an analog to the situation. Hmm. Uh, nothing I can um, think of. Yeah, no, no me either. Um, any, anywho. <laughs> anywho. Uh, <laughs> um, here, uh, I want to dig, if you don't mind, I want to dig into the back of the church just a little bit. Sure. Because I had another God, one of my... One of the most horrifying... It's so sequences. fucking spooky. Um, I, w- I want to dig into it because, again, I have another kind of, like, theory over what was happening. Or at least, like, I'll just, if I could, just paint a picture of, like, what was going through my mind. Okay. Right? So, it's pretty standard fare survival horror. It's just executed, like, perfect. Salazar comes up on the church. We get those images I was talking about earlier with the, where the, the figures almost look like their heads are extended. Then we get one of the only other uh, pieces of evidence from someone else in the town, and that is a recording, uh, a voicemail left by the father of that same family. The pastor, Rebuilding yeah. the missionary. It's one of the only times like the film truly kind of changes form in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's good. It mixes things up a little bit. It, it's the right time to kind of add a little extra variety a little nuance to the to the film and it's your standard survival horror voice recording of someone you know like right right at the end you know and in this case it's a father he realizes that hell is at the gates and he needs to make sure that it's not it doesn't touch his children that you know his, his his children can go cleanly into the eyes of god and so or into the hands of god and um so he's saying this and as he's saying it, as he's realizing, like, oh, where's Grace? Where's my wife, Grace? Which I like, too, because, like, it's it's a little heavy-handed, but I like that he is saying, like, where's the grace of God? 
is Grace well. is Grace, Grace is the daughter. Yeah, is the, the daughter, daughter, right? Grace, right. Because she's not. Because she's not way. there. Remember, because she's is with it? the rest of the kids at the preschool, which that's, is sort of the culmination. Right, right. But that's still, why yeah, he's saying. Idea, yeah, like, yeah, that's why he's Grace? saying, "Where's Grace? Yeah, where where is like the grace of God? Nowhere to be found. We're in hell." And um. It kind of reminds me of like the the Rose Sharon in Silent Hill, but it's it's much better done. It's way much better, yeah. way way better. Um, uh, <laughs> way. Then yeah, he starts saying like, "Oh, I, I won't let my children be taken," and then we hear what is assumedly that, like him not let, like not with sound effects or whatever else, but just his voice raises and he gets you know more and more intense. But what's interesting is it starts out afraid, calling out for Grace, having this revelation about his children. But then it almost sounds jovial. Like, yes, hysterical, but there's almost a joy to it, and then it, and then it, then it ends. And I, I think it's him being taken by the, the, that malevolent force mm. there. Like, that's, that's what I had in my mind, is it? It almost reminded me of um, a, a much worse piece of literature, but, uh, or not, uh, but, but like Cross. Sure. Like Garth, Garth Ennis, Ennis, like the, or the, we watch The Sadness. You know, oh, where it's yeah. like the, the, the zombies that are just like, they're, they're still sentient. They just become hyper, you know. Exaggerations um, of their most evil qualities. Qualities, yeah. yeah. And um, it kind of reminded me of that, but he was just sort of like swept up in it and taken by it. And like, and then suddenly he's just, though with the best intentions, acting as a demon. And sort of becomes one of these these wretched creatures as well. I like the ambiguity of it, mm-hmm. you know, especially near the end because... You really don't know. No, you don't. You yeah. know, they don't answer that question for well, you. Well, we do see the one of the photographs of him being pulled out the window, and he's dropping the machete that he has just used to uh, to butcher his wife and, and son as, like, this hand is coming from out of the dark and grabbing around his face and pulling him backwards yeah, out the but window. but even then, you don't know... <laughs> You know, like Cleve was saying, you know, you don't know his true state right before. Yeah, the end. I think maybe what, he was coming at Salazar with the axe next. What makes, maybe not. Who knows? What makes the whole sequence so effective to me is not only is like the 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 voicemail so strong as like a singular piece. It's paired with this archival footage of Grace's fourth birthday, mm-hmm. and it's very mm-hmm. like nostalgic and like wholesome yeah and the same father playing with his that kids. juxtaposition of the two it's just so yeah it makes my skin crawl and the, it's and, so horrifying and as they're doing the interview with like the the other pastor from like the church back in colorado where they're from or whatever you know and he's talking about is like Oh well, you know, he uh he's a he's a murderer and a suicide and God sees what he did. And they talk about how after this like the 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 wife and like the kids' bodies were taken back to be buried at the church in Colorado or whatever, but the husband's body was buried separately, distant from them. And how that, like, even in his last moment, as he thinks he's saving his family from a horrible fate and sending them clean and pure to God, that that's a futile gesture because he's basically excommunicated from his church in death through those actions. 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's it just... It almost reminds It's me, very grim. Yeah, it yeah. almost reminds me a little bit of that kind of aside in Poughkeepsie tapes where they they blame the wrong guy on being the Poughkeepsie murderer. Oh, yeah, the Water Street Butch. And then, yeah. they, and then they execute him and then imme- and like immediately realize that they were wrong. Yeah. 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 I forgot about that. The film never really directly touches on this, which, again, this way... Ugh, it's so good. It always comes at everything sideways. It, it talks about how the desert will just swallow things up. We hear uh, during an interview with the Border Patrol guy, like he's talking about how he's, he's encountered people who've died of thirst, you know, just trying to cross the border with water 20 feet away, you know, mm-hmm. hidden, like that they, did, they didn't know about, and how things can just linger in the desert, and you can just encounter these things. And basically saying without saying that the desert consumes and hides all yeah right? and that and what it's implying without saying is that the desert can hide these horrible entities you know? well yeah i mean he that even can... talks about early on you know when they're kind of setting everything up that like how in recent years like before he retired from being border patrol like they would find like bones and stuff out in the desert that had been gnawed on and like not by animals and that like there's there's always this kind of like looming implication that like these like this is nothing new that these zombies have just been out there in the desert for a long time and are like gradual like the horde is like gradually growing larger as it's moving north it's almost like it it's like the it's like it's creating a literal projection of the right ha- of the right wing fear of these like hordes of monsters that are flooding across our southern border well, it's amazing you know? because we it, the the this is where like the serpent sort of eats itself the wheel turns back around because zombies it's often you know explained that like zombies are an like a convenient other right, right. like they're you know just that part of the zeitgeist where you know is uh you you can you can mow down crowds of people without feeling guilty about it, right? Like, that's the whole idea with zombies. That's, like, the, the... Which, to me, is equally terrifying. Um, but that whole concept of, yeah, they're they're a convenient other. You know, they're they're an other that you don't have to feel bad about massacring, about killing. Um, and, and why it's it's a... You know, the, the zombie survival fantasy is... And this is, this is shit that, you know, has been said a million times over. But, like... Uh, you know, it's it's why that that fantasy it's like it's like a quote safe fantasy to play it you know play into what would other be otherwise be pretty malevolent thoughts and often you know it's only really a sidestep away from the reality which is that you know many times like often like just people are made into that other and that creature and now this movie has yeah. brought that fully you know fully back around yeah and it's you know it teeters the line on, like, a reactionary premise of, like, a dehumanized, you know, caravan of migrants moving northward, which, in the wrong hands, could be very reactionary and Mm -hmm. very, you know, right-wing coded. But I think this film kind of smartly sidesteps that because all of the victims, pretty much, are you know, migrants. Yeah. You know, it, it's not like this zombie force is killing all the white folks. Right. You know, the, the victims are 
the the migrants themselves the people who live on the fringes as is so often the case yeah. that you know the 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 people who are poor and disenfranchised are the ones who suffer the most through these systems and that like yeah the, this fear that like oh these the swarm of of unwashed others flooding across the southern border to rape your women and steal your job is like no that's a fucking it's a reactionary fantasy. Yeah, I, I. The system, this... the system just hurts the people who are wrapped up in it. I read know? this book a few years ago, all about uh, the black market, and it goes through. It went through like a few different varied stories, but one of them was about strawberry fields in California, and how a lot of them are migrants work in the fields, and essentially they're coerced to kind of work below, you know, labor standards of America because they're under the threat They that, live under the threat of deportation. You know, yeah. yeah, and I think kind of that's what they're kind of implying a little bit here as well is, like, the nature of the draconian immigration system. The victims are oftentimes... The migrants themselves. Pretty much all, but not even just oftentimes, like, almost exclusively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and they mention at one point in this movie, too, that, like, this town has, like, one phone, you know, right? At, at, like, the one store in town. And they're like, well, you, a normal person would say, like, well, why didn't they call the police when this was going down? It's like, well, because these are all... Like, these are people who are not helped by the police, you know? These are the people who the institution of police is designed to oppress. Especially in southern Arizona. Especially in southern Arizona when, like, you know, a good... Like, the, the when pretty much the entire town is Hispanic and a good chunk illegal, like, they're not going to call the police in a situation like that because the police are just a different uh they even say they're they're like a different facet of like criminal enterprise you know it's like they're they are a uh just an alternative to the cartel yeah and they do a good job kind of showing the racism for Mm -hmm. kind of the grossness that it is from the get-go but they also establish that like the clan had like a lot of history in that area as well. In Arizona, yeah. Um, Arizona embraced the Klan after Reconstruction, and there's, like, all of this history. It's like, yeah, it's still, those roots run deep. Um, those roots of oppression and racism and bigotry run deep. Yeah, I really like how straight the uh, the investigative journalist tells it. Like, he, he, even at the end of the film, he just he just compares the whole situation to, like, another Tulsa, another, like, yeah, you know, any of those, you know, Rodney situations. Rodney that's, that's where it yeah. gets the most direct, et cetera, to the it's point like, where it's a little hit you over the head, and in any other movie, I'd kind of roll my eyes at it but, but i it's think true. it works it's here true though is the, <laughs> like the images of the clan in kind of the same form as the images we see throughout the movie you know groups of them you know in black and white um at night in you know these spaces yeah and the parallels uh, it's yeah. very direct in what it's trying to say here you know, and again, like in a lesser film, I don't think it would work, but I think it works because 
of how minimalistic the rest of the film is. And, and you know, truthfully, I, I think that in this film, it, it's it's almost kind of necessary for it to take a very clear stance on its message because like what we've just talked about with like the zombie horde as kind of a reflection of the right wing fear of, you know, the, the cartels and MS 13 and the migrant caravan, so on and so forth, that if the film wasn't straightforward about its message, it would run the risk of, appearing reactionary i think um so i yeah in in this setting i really don't have a problem with it no not at all um i think this sequence with finding grace at the schoolyard is worth touching on for a second yeah um uh in that it's it's only unique artistically in that it's the only time he uses flash so we just we see them as as ghouls Mm -hmm. um it's the only time we see him in any of the photos either. Yes. Yeah. As explained by the photographer that they interview, which we haven't touched on at all yet. Um, and I want to, because uh, after the investigative journalist who I, I like just because he tells it like it is, but um, there's a, there's a photographer that they interview to, to a touch Vietnam on the, photographer, a Vietnam photographer, yeah. which is perfect. That's like the, the perfect, like uh, additional voice that you need, mm-hmm. I think in this, in this narrative. Um, and, uh, he touches, he's usually the one who kind of guides us through the, the type of photos and why. And, uh, I, I think it's, it's such a necessary voice in it, but is also, is this right to say the guy who created Wolverine? Yeah, that character is played by Len Wein, who is, was a comics writer who created Wolverine and, uh, the, and Swamp Thing for DC. Um. Incredible. Yeah, very, very interesting pull for this film like i wonder how that lined up but he's yeah he's one of my favorite voices in the film too because he's the only one who offers a kind of uh artistic perspective on what's happening like he's he's continually talking about like sort of the serendipity and like in one role of film like how rare it is to get so many like perfect shots and I, I like when he talks about how, you know, photographers feel like they're invincible when they're behind the camera, and to use that as kind of like an explanation for why Salazar was taking these photos throughout the night. And he talks about how, you know, despite his fear of heights when he was in Vietnam, you know, he was hanging out the side of a helicopter holding on to as he says a strap that I wouldn't use for a belt you know because behind the camera taking pictures he felt invincible and fearless and to use that as like yeah I mean it just it 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 feels perfect I think to to add to the believability of you know that always that found footage thing of like why are you still filming? Why are you still taking pictures? And as you mentioned, the last three photos, when he finds Grace at the school, are the only time that he used his flash attachment on the camera and is like, why? Why did he do that? And then we hear in uh, Salazar's interview, he, he was trying to use the flash to scare away the zombies, the ghouls. 
And like those last three photos are, you know, him outside and Grace in the class and there are bars on the window and the room is full of zombies. And, you know, it's three photos and they progressively get closer. And then the last one, she's reaching out through the bars and Salazar, you know, his hand is in the shot holding her hand. And he says that he held her hand and sang to her as she was torn apart by the undead to try to provide her comfort in her last moments. And like, that's where the photo, the reels end because grace is gone. That's right. Grace has grace has left the world, uh, horribly. Um, and yeah, it's, he he also says that she, she, cause he says, I use the flash to, to scare them, to get them away. And she says, does it work? And his response is what I find the most chilling about that whole sequence is he says, he says, it only made them stop for a little bit. Yeah, only while, only when it flashed. Flash. Like it stopped them, like when it flashed. But is then, yeah. yeah, and like, and and that just gives you all the texture you need to build that scene in your mind. Yeah, right. Of them like coming forward, him frantically like clicking the camera, and them just stopping for a second, kind of just taken in by the light before moving forward again. Ugh. Yeah, Ugh. wretched, terrible, terrifying, um, and. Yeah, a, a very fitting place for, for him to just stop taking photos yeah. at that point. Well, well to run out of film. That's, yeah. yeah, that's the that's the end of his reel. That was it, and that's the mm-hmm. end of his journey through through the town. Yeah. Um I do think the you know, we can we can get you know, start wrapping up, but the ending is worth talking about. Yes. Because um, I do have some, I do have some thoughts and feelings on. I'm curious how how y'all feel about it. But anyway, uh, as, as the film sort of wraps up, his appeal is uh, rejected, and he is executed by the state. And you know, we get the interviews from the sheriff and the the fucking Rush Limbaugh AM radio piece of shit, and all these people being like, "Yeah, true American justice was served." We get the sort of uh, Ben Garrett style political cartoon show where it shows him salazar on the injection table with big syringes that say like truth and And justice justice. yeah um and and just like one of the most like repulsive ghoulish things is like the the radio guy being like you know he was buried here in america can you believe that he came here illegally he killed here i bet he's happy to know yeah it's like he's dead of course he's not happy he had a miserable time well and the the biggest juxtaposition with that is right before uh salazar's sister is saying she wasn't even allowed to Get her visa. See, the yeah, execution. to attend his execution. Yeah, she couldn't get her visa to enter the U.S. Yeah. to to attend her brother's execution. Yeah. And so to hear that radio bit right after, yeah, it's just to stab all the guy. more. And then they're like, "Oh well, I I woke up uh, feeling good today because some unnamed patriots have uh, dug up his body and and removed it and the body is and, gone uh terrifying because like he's he's rejoicing and that like or he's he's sorry he's lamenting over that he was buried in that town. He was buried in the U.S. He was yeah. buried, yes. Rather than, near. yeah, that and, he was able, like, even in death, he was able to avoid deportation yeah. is what he said. And, like, we, we know that's not what he wanted at all. <laughs> like, Yeah, well, and his sister's like, he never should have left Mexico, right? Like, what did being mm-hmm. in the U.S., like, yeah. give to him in the end? And at that same time, there's that, uh, that similar revelation that 
during his whole route through town. He was just trying to get north. Yeah. You know? And that implies that the creatures were moving north. Well, know? more than just implies, that's what the, the Border Patrol guy even says. Like, yeah, why didn't he run south? Well, because they were coming from the south, and they're always moving north. And he starts, like listing all of these things like this town in utah 10 people dead these two can't like two campers in this area dead and then just like listing all of these like mysterious deaths and disappearances like all along the border and moving north and then the film ends with like oh uh from the 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 crime scene of the campsite where the two campers were murdered, there was a damaged camera that was found. And we do get just a few seconds, just a little snippet of true found footage. You know, it's very distorted and damaged and artifacted to hell and back. Um, but... Which I liked. I liked the the Dadamashi kind of glitchy yeah. properties of it it's it's what it's what saves it i think because you know the the last thing we see basically is like yeah these campers are up on a hill in their tent and we see some some people some zombies running up and uh what is you can tell for just a split second is salazar as you can see his orange prison jumpsuit um takes down the cameraman and you know, I on, on a second on a second watch, uh, it didn't bother me as much as the first time. Um, I thought it was kind of a the first time I watched, it, I thought it was kind of a down. Like, I almost felt like it was a little bit too much, um, especially for how like subtle the rest of the film was, and that there's like there it almost feels like there's something lost by like actually seeing the the monsters in motion that like kind of doesn't work for me i'm curious i'm kind of curious how y'all felt that way on on a first viewing at least we see so little of it it's fine yeah on on a second rewatch it didn't bother me as much because it really is so brief and like the footage is like so badly damaged and data moshed that like you really do see very little but also at the same time like even though it didn't bother me quite as much on this watch there's still that part of me that i think like the film would be like really really fucking clean without that little bit at the end that like it feels a little Extras, yeah. Superfluous. It's. I will say the the final shot of that sequence with where the camera guy goes over, falls over, and we see the tent being pulled at repeatedly. Uh huh. I I kind of like that. I thought, yeah, yeah, I I, 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 I found it to be pretty. I think it's just the rigidity of it, and like just the 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 repeated motion, like like the like crazy person would do. I I think I think that the the overall issue is just like going through this movie. And having only these photographs and and seeing the the, the zombies as these distorted, abstract, like otherworldly things, and just like having to imagine like what actually went down based off of just these few stills that we get, that like to actually see them as just like people at the end in motion. It yeah, it, it, it I think it's a little close to cheapening that. It rob yeah, it robs it of some of the otherworldliness. Even though like intuitively, I know that it's like yeah, that's they are just like people, but yeah, it's. It's it's a little bit too much for me. Um, 
But, I mean, otherwise, like, it's just, like, it's barely a dang on, like, an otherwise just, like, impeccably constructed Mm -hmm. and executed film. Yeah. And I'll say, too, I think think, uh, it's only more poignant now. Uh, This movie came out in 2017. And 2015, 2015. Yeah. And so, yeah, it would take another five years for the, the news to break about the fucking Obama administration cages. Yeah. Right. Like, and it's, it's one of those things where like, you know, it, it was, well, yeah, the, the border, the border crisis has only escalated yeah. since this movie was made. Like it's only, it's only too, gotten, like it's only gotten worse. This film and, was largely like shot written around the time where that they were built you know yeah like and and so like it's 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 quite fitting for that and and i think to um the core plot like the fact that salazar is an innocent man execute you know witnesses <laughs> repeat child death and and uh is witnesses is mass slaughter mass yeah. slaughter and in in the dead of night and is terrified and is then blamed for all of this and executed, and then his corpse is exhumed, and he becomes part of the monstrous threat that you know he he he, yeah. he sought to escape. Is bleak. It's it's incredibly bleak. It's, it's incredibly bleak. sad. Yeah. But in the face of like reality, yeah, it's probably the feeling you should walk away from this movie feeling. Yeah. You know? and I don't. It's like, I, yeah. Okay. I, cool. Like I'm awake. I'm here. I'm listening. Yeah. I don't know? think this is. It's like, not. It's just a Tuesday, man. It's certainly like, not designed to be a feel-good movie, nor should it be. It's a serious. It like it's a serious topic. It's serious subject matter, and you know I think it should be. It should be treated as such. And you know this film is is a a exaggeration of that. Sure. You know it's it's expressionist. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's really good. Do you guys have anything else you want to touch on or no. should we rate? Um, you know, yeah. On, limited perspective. on on a second watch, um, I, I just have even greater appreciation for this. Um, when I watch it the first time, like the ending put me off just enough that I knocked it down to four and a half. But I think this time, like I'm more willing to forgive that just because of like, just how well made the rest of the film is with such a limited budget and just like a really inventive twist on on a tired genre um yeah I, i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a five out of five for me for me it's 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 pretty perfect it's up there with with my my favorite found footage horror movies of all time for sure I thought kind of hard about this. I think for what this film is trying to do, it nails it. Totally sticks it. Like, killer, killer film. My, my problem is, like, it's it's just weird to rate, like, a found footage film like this on the same level as, like, an alien, you know? Or, or as, like, so many other films I've given a five. This film isn't going to leave me, like... I don't know, man. Those photographs are really cool. But, like, I don't know if I can give it a five because it's like okay aliens to this is like a golden apples golden oranges but is this, yeah, is this totally just a different. really really good orange you know like is it is it like a golden orange or is it just really really nice like i'm gonna give it a 4.5 and i'm gonna think about it uh you know i think i think uh i'm coming hot off the movie um we talk about that a lot but you know ask me ask me in six months ask me longer you know um will i 
feel the same way about Graceland. I think I think the just yeah, give me give me some time on it. But right now I'm gonna say four point five. Say Graceland. Uh, <laughs> Savage Land. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, yeah, Ben. This ain't no Elvis movie. Uh, nope. Yeah, so I gotta be honest. Like, if you both would have rated it a five, I wouldn't have stopped it from becoming a golden pod. But since Cleve, you gave it a four and a half. I I do have to say, on first viewing, the the end just felt a little superfluous, and that's the only thing for me keeping it from a five. I think it's an incredible found footage movie, one of the best of its kind. You know, it definitely is in the same echelon as something like Poughkeepsie Tapes, which is a golden pod for sure. Yeah. It's a strong four and a half out of five. I really respect kind of the minimalism of its approach and leaving so much to the imagination. Word. Well, I considering that on my first viewing, I also gave it a four and a half out of five. I can't be mad at y'all. I think that that's a, a, a fair arc, and I would uh, be curious to see uh, on rewatch if y'all are willing to bump it up. Um, <laughs> but for now, that will give Savage Land a uh, still very strong 4.7 out of five and a resounding recommendation. If you listen through this whole episode and haven't watched the movie... Um, Strongly encourage you do so. It's it's well worth the time. It's a breezy 80-minute watch that uh, does not have one shred of fat on it. Um, so definitely check it out. Um, next week is a very special episode. Believe it or not, next week is going to be our 300th episode 300. of the podcast. 300 officially, really, we're sitting more at, like, 330. Yeah, um, not counting those mini-sids. Yeah. That, sure, basically the same format we have. Exactly, now. yeah. But in our official numbering format, here we come, episode 300. <laughs> we are going to keep what we're covering next week a secret for now, um, but rest assured, it will be something special, and... Uh, we think you'll enjoy it. So uh, join us next week for our 300th episode. And uh, yeah, that will bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you like the show and you want to help us ring in episode 300 next week, why don't you leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you're listening to this. Uh, it helps us work our way up in the numbers and be putting more people's algorithms and more people listening to the show. Uh, you can also, of course... Support us at Patreon, patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Uh, shout out to our honorary pod boys, Sam, Zach, Micah, and Mitchell. Y'all are the goats. Um, the goats. The goats. Uh, and, the goats. Uh, yeah, why not also follow us at Letterboxd, letterboxd.com slash podpeoplepod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. Um, for my recommendation this week, uh, I think I know what Ben's is going to be, so I'm not, I, I won't <laughs> steal that and I'll just second it. Um, I, I watched, uh, Leviathan earlier this week, the, the George P. George Cosmos, P. Cosmatos, um, yeah, it's, it's it, that's exactly how it's I feel good. about it. It's yeah. pretty good. It's a little bit, I, it's, same, same. It's, it's a little, it's a little bit slow to start. It's, um, it's unfortunately no abyss. It's like, it, but it's it's uh, it's basically a, a lower budget A 
aliens at the bottom of the ocean. There's some fun, cool uh, body horror uh, monsters. Yeah, got fish a creature. Yeah, got got a a, a pretty well, good cast as well. Peter really? Weller, uh, Daniel Stern, uh, Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Nice little cast. Yeah, it was. I, I had a good time with it. It's not a it's not a, a new favorite or anything, but I enjoyed it well enough. So. Yeah, that's my recommendation for yeah. the week. Oh, yeah, about George P. Cosmatos kick lately. Um, I'm going to recommend, uh, there's a new game out right now called Deep Rock Galactic Survivors. Yep. Um, Seconded. If you take the strong fundamentals of Deep Rock Galactic and the strong fundamentals of Vampire Survivors and put them in a blender together, you get Deep Rock Galactic Survivors. It's an incredible bullet heaven game uh i think cleave you called it a daca at one time it's an auto shooter i guess you could say i mean yeah um, you literally just move your character around and it all the shooting is done automatically it's it's you kill enemies you level up yeah it's a dopamine Um, factory yeah it's it's a perfect zone out game just came out in early access but it already feels like very complete um, huge recommendation. Clay, what you got? Yo, uh, I already shouted it out earlier on the podcast, so I'll just kind of cement it. Um, uh, last night I watched Curse of the Blair Witch, which was apparently pretty hard to get a hold of for a long time. Um, but now it's on Tubi! Once again, nice. favorite of the podcast. We just keep, like, repping Tubi movies. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, why, uh, you know, we have a great Blair Witch episode, and I think it would accompany it pretty well. Uh, Curse of the Blair Witch gets into some pretty cool details, and much like this movie, recontextualizes, like, some of the elements in the Blair Witch without giving too much more context to who and what the Blair Witch is. Like, there's a couple of theories, there's a couple of mysteries around it they get into that aren't talked about in the movie, um, but they're largely conflicting and tell different events. Like, it's cool. It's, it's really fucking neat, and, uh, it's just, it's, it's a really nice bit of supplemental material, and I wonder... I think I'm glad I did it in this order, but I also think it would have been kind of neat to have done it the other way around too. Like I could, I could see watching this. Before see the documentary before the Blair Witch. Yeah, be- well, because here's the thing: a lot of people did. This came out right before it did, and it's part of it was part of the hype train oh, to influence people thinking that the Blair Witch was real, which was a big thing around like its its marketing campaign. Okay, so it's not a real documentary. No, it's a mockumentary. Okay, like, that's the thing. It's like basically. For, for Blair Witch, they made two movies. They made this and that. I, I think if you're a, a Blair Witch fan in general, like it's it, like it's necessary viewing. Well, then I better watch it because yeah, I because I am. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Episode three hundreds next week. Until then, stay savage, man. The
Let's go.